Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Stu Hodum with Believe in the Media Guide on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? The college football season started last Saturday, and the Army Black Knights are ready for a fall slate of 12 games with eight home tilts at Mikey Stadium, including the opener this Saturday, September 5th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network versus Middle Tennessee State. Two other home games will air on CBS as Army takes on BYU September 19th and Air Force November 7th. The traditional regular season ending game against the U.S. Naval Academy will be December 12th in Philadelphia. As Associate Athletic Director of Broadcasting and Licensing at the United States Military Academy, Rich DeMarco is the voice of Army Athletics. Throughout the Hudson Valley, across the nation, and around the world, the Army Black Knights are on the air as DeMarco heads into his 11th season as the football play-by-play voice, following six seasons as a sideline reporter. He also broadcasts Army basketball and is called baseball and lacrosse. In addition to his radio responsibilities, he's charged with producing and maintaining all multimedia content on Army's official website and helping launch Army's audio and video streaming initiatives. Before his time on the Hudson, he was on the banks of the Raritan as a sideline reporter for Rutgers football and the voice of Rutgers women's basketball at WCTC. He also earned New Jersey Associated Press Broadcasters Association Awards for Best Sports Program, Best 9-11 Coverage, and Best News Program. You can follow him on Twitter at Rich DeMarco, all one word, R-I-C-H-D-E-M-A-R-C-O. Rich DeMarco, welcome, and how are you and your family doing? Oh, we're doing great, and uh, you know, every day is an adventure with uh, with seven year old twin boys. But uh, I'll tell you what, it's um, it's uh, it's great to be with you. And I know it's been a long time, but I'm obviously following your career and from way back in the day at WRC at Rutgers, and it's uh, it's really an honor. And thanks so much for thinking of me. Well, it's an honor to talk to you. I grew up on West Point and uh, Bob Outer and John Minko, and now you are next in line in succession as the voice of Army football. So congratulations. And can't believe it's your 11th season. That's awesome. No, it's, uh, it time flies. So since June at West Point, the President of the United States addressed the 2020 graduating class. The class of 2024 started its journey, and the football team has been practicing and scrimmaging against each other. In July, the Patriot League, which includes Army, announced it will not engage in competition this fall. However, it stated, quote, because the United States Military Academy and the United States Naval Academy are unique in their environments and their missions within higher education. The Council of Presidents agree that the academies may continue to engage in competitive opportunities as considered appropriate by their respective superintendents. Can you explain the unique environments and missions in higher education at Army and Navy? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, really, when you when you think about it, um, they, they talk about the 47 month experience that a cadet goes through from our day at the beginning of July through, you know, 47 months later, Memorial Day weekend, uh, the, the graduation of those 47 months, you know, building leaders of character, building the next you know, generation of leaders in the United States Army and the United States in the, in the private sector, you know, after if they ever leave the army. And, and I think when you, know, you get back to, um, to what you mentioned in the Patriot League, which really affects a lot of Army's Olympic sports, um, it, it comes down to really the fact that Athletic Director Mike Buddy has, has really, um, really 
communicated this very well is that, you know, when, when leagues and, and, and sports are canceling seasons and, you know, it seems like eligibility has, has been a very easy thing to add on to, Hey, you know, the folks that were playing a spring sport can get another year of eligibility. You know, athletes that compete in the fall. Now, if the year is split fall and spring, they'll be able to get another year of eligibility. That doesn't happen at army. Really there it's 47 months and, they come in as, as a green high schooler out of the prep school and they leave this, this officer ready to serve their country. So, you know, there's, there's no opportunity. There's no extra year of eligibility. And with that said, and, and really as, as I've always thought of since I've been there, and this is going to be my 17th season uh, working with there, it's, you know, what happens after West Point, you know, because of that, because of serving their country, not knowing, you know, where they're going to be stationed and what they could be called upon to do, there is such an onus and such a responsibility to make their cadet athlete years, their intercollegiate years, that much more special and give them really that experience because really they're not going to, they're not going to graduate and then become a GA at another school for a couple of years and then go on to a coaching career or, or be, or most ch chances be a professional. I know some things have happened where there's an opportunity for, you know, athletes from the academies to move on to professional sports. So, in that whole idea of making this experience so special, you know, it's, it's really clear that, you know, if the rest of the leagues, if, if the Patriot League isn't playing an army and Navy, because they have a special mission, because I know people are using the term bubble a lot. And I, I really, it's, it's really not a lot of bubbles aren't bubbles, but because the academies have controlled environments probably is the best way to put it, where you can keep everyone kind of in one place and, and really limit the kinds of things which are, you know, really spreading, you know, viruses, whatever you want to say, that, um, that if the academies could figure it out, they could compete. And I think that was very important. And I think, you know, really, in a long answer to a short question, I think it goes back to the fact that there's no extra years of eligibility and really the, the responsibility to make that cadet athlete experience special and not have them lose those opportunities. And before we get back to football, will other Army sports be competing this fall? And that's the plan. And I mean, the, the sports are, you know, um, they're practicing, they're, they're able to, you know, see what, what schedules are out there. I think there's a lot of other teams that aren't playing right now. So you got to look at, you know, who's, who's available to play, but I know army and Navy, and I know a lot's been talked about, about maybe competing against each other, maybe having other events, but these sports are, are going to do as, as the athletic director has said, Mike, buddy, you know, everything, you know, as long as everyone's safe to, to compete. How have the football team's preparations gone and, and what are your hopes and the team's hopes for 2020? Well, I mean, you go back to 2019, right? And five wins after back to back to back years of eight wins, 10 wins and 11 years, uh, 11 wins. And I think that, uh, you know, I think there are a couple things. I think it's not an excuse and Jeff Munkle will never say it was, but I think last year's team was just hit with a lot of injuries at key spots. And I think there was a, you know, a, a nice start to the year. I think the Michigan game from a, disappointment standpoint to how that game ended in double overtime after army went into that game fully expecting to win that game not just be competitive especially what happened after the oklahoma game last year during the oklahoma game i should say and the injury suffered in that game really quarterback kelvin hopkins was never a hundred percent after that army played four quarterbacks last year so i think it's i look at it as you know, maybe last year was a little bit of a reset and you know there's there's some you know some, some veteran players back some some youngsters that, that hope can be uh, big contributors. And, um, and again, a schedule, which I'll tell you, it was 12 games. Then it was whittled down to three games about a month ago. And now it's suddenly back to 12 games. We'll see what happens. 
and uh, a couple of games on the the big network on CBS, BYU and Air Force, um, and especially that Air Force game, always a big one against the academies, um, and then obviously Navy to end the regular season with hopes of a bowl game that, you know, maybe beyond what you've reached in the past. I, I don't know if you've thought that far ahead. I realize that's too far probably to think, but um, is there a, you know, could there be a, a January 1st bowl in Army's future? I mean, I think that's the goal. And I think that's yeah. where, you know, you go back to, you know, when it's 10 and three and 11 and two, and you're like, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, if you could, if you could win them all, you know, mm-hmm. you never know. Army was fortunate enough last year to sign a, a bowl, agreement that covers six years um, from 2020 through 2025. So 2022, 20, 2020, 2022, and 2024 it would be the Independence Bowl. And then 23, um, 21, 23, and 25 is uh, one of the ESPN bowl games, which are not unlike the games Army's been. There's a plethora. It's like 12 bowl games of which the Armed Forces Bowl, the, uh, the First Responder Bowl was the um, Heart of Dallas Bowl, which Army played in 2016, is one of those. So I don't, I don't know if there's some language. Let's say Army went undefeated if they could move. I'm sure there's there's things maybe that could be talked about. But it's good to know, you know, because there were a couple of those years there, Stu. And you go back in 2016 and 2018, where Army didn't have a bowl tie. In 17, they did with the Armed Forces Bowl. In 18, when Army was going toward what was an 11 and two year, there was there was a little bit of, of, of anxiety as, as we got closer to Thanksgiving that there were going to be bowls maybe that, that didn't qualify teams. It's not that you needed less than the total qualified bowl teams, but you needed, you know, a bowl, let's say if they had the, the sixth pick in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the eighth pick, not to have eight teams, then we could slide in and we were lucky enough to uh, move into the Armed Forces Bowl, which was obviously one of the great moments that went over Houston. So it's good to know there's a home if Army becomes bowl eligible, and I know with 41 bowls and 76 teams, I think they're going to have to figure out how uh, how they're going to slot those bowls this year. But I think Army's in a good in a good position. Just got to get those wins. Yeah, um, you mentioned um, West Point and how special it is for me growing up there, going to games, sure. going up to Fort Putnam to look over the Hudson Valley and and Mikey Stadium. You've worked at West Point now, like you say, this is your 17th season. What's it like working at the United States Military Academy and, um, as you mentioned earlier, with the country's future leaders? It's great. I mean, I just, um, you know, you, you come in every day and, uh, and you know, I, I try not, I always try to really be thankful for everything, right? And thankful for being able to do what I do and, and be able to work where I work. And then when you, you know, come on post and you see, um, or you're driving around post, maybe it's during lunchtime, and you see some, you know, group on a bus taking a tour and you're like, wow, you know, these people are are paying to come here and I get paid to come here every day uh, to work. So that's, that's, that's pretty, uh, that, that's pretty special. And um, I, I tell you, it's, um, you know, it's just, it's the best of the best. And I just, you know, I, I just love the, I love the culture. I love the mission and I love the place. And it's just really, um, it's really a dream come true working there. One of the most impactful pieces of feedback I received in my career came from a sailor shipping out of Naval Station Mayport. I'd created a leaderboard on foxsports.com and he said that viewing it, the live data, and there was a chat function helped him feel like he was at home as he was heading out to the Middle East. As the voice of Army Athletics, what's the best story that you can share from someone out in the field? 
That's a good question. Um, well, you know, it's, and I always say this and I've, I've said it to a lot of folks, you know, that, that when you're, a, when you're a radio guy, you know, the, the greatest thing you could have is someone when you're at, let's say a dinner or an event, say that they were listening to you one night, maybe they couldn't watch the game on TV. They were driving around and, and you were their eyes and ears. And when you hear that from someone who's overseas, I mean, that, that means a ton. Um, specifically, I'll give you a couple examples was, um, the, the superintendent of, West Point now, Lieutenant General Darrell Williams, and who I'd never met before, he's a former Army football player in the early 80s. And when I, um, when I met him for the first time a couple of years ago, and I introduced myself, I'm like, you know, obviously I'm saying, Rich, oh, Rich, I know you, we're listening to you overseas. I'm like, whoa, I'm like, that's, that's awesome, right? And, um, mm -hmm. and I think another one was, actually, this was ironic. So football, you hear a lot of folks saying, hey, I'm listening to the football. So two, two basketball ones is someone had said several years ago that, um, that uh, folks that were overseas, a bunch of our basketball players stationed together, and they get up in the middle of the night to listen to the games, like whenever they were on, like this group of guys who were former Army basketball players, like it was like a regular thing for them. Maybe it was like three in the morning, they would, they would listen. And then um, someone sent me, it was like a, a Snapchat or something that I guess when Army played at Duke, not this past season, the season before, when Zion Williamson was on Duke, that there was something with, and the game was on ESPN, but there was something with ESPN wasn't um, being picked up by the the channel that they were overseas. So there were folks that wanted to hear Army at Duke, and they were and they were listening tuned in to us <laughs> when we're playing. You know, a team that was you know what, number five in the nation at the time, or something like that. But uh, but it's you always hear. Um, it's funny. You'll just be not expecting it. It's like, oh yeah, we were listening to you. You know and Stuttgart, Germany, or you know other places. And it's like, wow, that's really um, that's a great um, that, that's just a great feeling. That's awesome. Um, in, in 2010, your first year as football play-by-play -play announcer for Army, you broadcast Rutgers versus Army at Giant Stadium in a game that saw Rutgers player Eric LeGrand paralyzed while making a tackle on a kickoff return. Ten years later, can you describe your recollections and emotions of that day and that play? Just remember, obviously, it was a kick return, and you know, after the plan, as the plan did, you know, Eric LeGrand had rolled over, and I remember, you know, moving quickly onto what was going to be you know, Army on offense and saying, you know, tackle made by Eric LeGrand, slow getting up, and Dean Darling, my color commentator, about a half second later, like, Richie's not up, and then um, they were just waving folks onto the field, and it was interesting because um, we, when, we're, when we play um, games at home and on the road, we hire, you know, a spotter in the booth on the road. We also hire someone to hold the, the microphone dish on the field. And, um, you know, sometimes you have a hard time finding people or whatever. So for that game in particular, we had a hard time finding someone to hold the dish. So my wife was holding the dish on the field, Katie, and she was, you know, and she was literally right in front of where that happened. And she just will say to this day, you know, she would just, you know, it was the crunch of the hit and then everything just was so quiet. And, um, and I'll tell you, the the you know when you think back and and obviously the unfortunate tragic you know play i'll tell you though when you look at eric legrand and and everything he's accomplished you know from you know uh, from from uh, you know fundraising to you know signing an nfl contract to being on the cover of sports illustrated and everything the and again obviously i have no perspective of what eric legrand goes through every day before that day or since that day but when you look at how inspiring his story is and you think back to that lowest moment, horrible moment, and something that obviously is, is remembered in sports, but the way, you know, he has 
lived his life and, and come back since then, whatever, really, um, it, it goes from being something that I'll always remember that was, that was a very sad and tragic moment. When you think and take it a couple steps further, it's such an inspiring moment. I had a chance to meet Eric Legrand in um, 2011 when Army was playing Rutgers at Yankee Stadium. And, um, and just when you think about everything he's done, um, and obviously being a graduate of Rutgers and so proud uh, to be a, a Rutgers graduate and proud to see what he's done, um, you, can, you can almost be inspired by, of course, inspired by, you know, what he's done and, and how he's turned into, you know, such, a, um, such an important person about not giving up and, and what, you know, everything should really be about. I didn't think about that until you just mentioned it, how, you know, you played a giant stadium one year, Yankee stadium, the next year you've gone to Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, what's, I guess, your favorite place that you've been, um, you know, knowing that you're such a, a sports fan growing up and, you know, just really immersed in the culture of, of sports. Um, is, is there one that stands out and, and maybe it's the combination of the day along with the venue? I just, I like venues that have a historical, obviously, ties. So, you know, when we played um, Tulane and you know, we played at the Superdome, obviously that's hosted Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. We played them at, um, at what was it, um, at City Park Stadium, which is uh, what now, it was Reggie Bush Field for a while, I think it was. I forget what it's called now. But mm-hmm. actually, it was that there's a nice plaque there. It was like the last, I think the last Beatles concert was there in New Orleans. Was there. So there was a nice plaque of that. And it was funny, I was talking to someone about Tulane Stadium actually on Twitter last week where, you know, the new Tulane football stadium, Yolman Stadium is really adjacent to the old Sugar Bowl. And there's a, it's now the band practice field, that area. And there's a bunch mm-hmm. of dorms and everything. So just walking through those areas, I think when we, when we played at Duke, you know, um, Wallace Wade Stadium, that hosted a Rose Bowl during yeah. World War II, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's, and, it, and, you know, I just love being at places where, you know, that history happened. And of course, getting to go to University of Michigan, Oklahoma, you know, those, those are places that are just like steeped in history. But when you think of, um, you know, even, even somewhere like the Alamo dome, which is, which is one of the great facilities, the way that can pack in noise with, with UTSA, but also calling army playing Notre Dame there and being on the sidelines and army almost beat Texas A&M. That's, that's probably, you know, city wise and facility wise and army's history there. That's, that's probably one of my favorite spots and we're fortunate enough to go there. Um, this year, but um, I, I tell you, um, just the the place is steeped in in that history. Like Stanford Stadium hosted a Super Bowl, right? But in another iteration, I know it's mm-hmm. been redone and everything. But to uh, or even the Yale Bowl, right? You know, mm-hmm. before the game, I try to walk on the field where Joe Namath jogged in to beat mm-hmm. the Giants in the first regular season overtime game in NFL history. So, uh, you know, Rice Stadium, right, where the the Dolphins won a Super Bowl and. You know, they joke that the press box hasn't been um, updated or renovated since Super Bowl eight. you know. So, um, so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. to. I, I always like going places and really getting that history behind the facility. So I, a lot of different answers. But any place that's hosted a Super Bowl or, or an important college uh, football game is, uh, is, is, is good for me. You are such a historian of the Super Bowl. Is, do you have a, a favorite Super Bowl? <laughs> That's a good question. I think, um, you know, you think back and obviously historically, you know, obviously Super Bowl two, I think, I think probably the best played Super Bowl is probably Super Bowl 25 between the Giants and the Bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, no turnovers, obviously coming down at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just like the, I just like the underdog ones when I, when I read and, and go back. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a big Jim Plunkett fan, you know, winning mm-hmm. Super Bowl 15 after, mm-hmm. you know, really being given up, you know, Kurt Warner winning Super mm-hmm. Bowl and really, 
not about Super Bowl 34, but 43 was even, even though in a loss, was just as significant after coming back from what he had come back from. So the, the great underdog stories in the Super Bowls are my, uh, my favorite. Army played that role for your first 12 years at the Academy. Navy had your number. And in 2016, the Black Knights finally won, and your game-winning touchdown call was featured on Vern Lundquist's final college football broadcast. After a dozen years of frustration, what was it like to break through and then eventually win three in a row? Yeah, I'll tell you, it was, um, it was, that was it. It was, you know, it was frustration. I mean, that was the, um, that, that was the most, because remember, if you go back and, and Stu, you being a big army football fan, you know, as it got, you know, toward the end of that streak, there were a lot of close games, even with army football teams that were not very good um, against, um, you know, Navy teams that were really good. So it was just, you know, it was, you go back to 2011 and, you know, Army had him on the ropes. Then the big kick return to start the second half, and then Army driving. Then 12, obviously, Army going in for what folks thought was going to be a walk-in touchdown, and then the fumble. So Army even knocking on the door, and I, and I think finally breaking through in 16 against the Navy team that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, well, a couple of weeks before that, a week before that, was playing for a spot in the Cotton Bowl when they played in the American Championship game against Temple. And then and then following up with the, with the wins after in, in – 17 and 18, you know, and folks say like, what's the biggest call? What's the biggest win? And I say, you know, they're all, they're like children, right? You know, I got this commander in chief's trophy rings, bowl rings. They're like children, right? So you can't really pick one over the other, but I'll say that, you know, in 16, you know, army could have another losing streak against Navy and, and break it, but nothing's going to be like the 16 game because as an army fan, as you are Stu, and there's so many around the world, it had become, it had just become like a, uh, like a thing like it was you know uh, to the point where navy had 14 stars on its helmet 14 stars in its jersey and an empty star on the neckline of its jersey and, and the back of its helmet that they were going to fill in after they won the 15th in a row i mean it had become like an albatross i mean it was just something that so i'll tell you army could win 15 in a row or lose another 14 in a row but i don't think anything's quite going to be like 16 and um and i think that you know, it's, it, it makes you not that, not that when you win every year, have the, the better part of a rivalry, you ever take it for granted. But I think after that streak ended and even last year losing to Navy, I, I, army fans will never take it for granted. that They're going to win that game. And hopefully, hopefully we get it back this year, right? Uh, December. Looking back in your broadcasting career in college, you interned at WFAN and then worked there with fellow alum, Rutgers alum and current update anchor, Erica Herskowitz. You also crossed paths with John Minko, who we mentioned you succeeded as the voice of Army football. You did news and sports at WGHT here in New Jersey, where current Fox Sports host and play-by-play announcer Kevin Burkhart also worked. And you were assistant sports director um, and news anchor reporter at WCTC. Growing up, did any broadcasters stand out to you? Did you attempt to pattern yourself after anyone? No, I just, I probably, I'm a, obviously a huge fan of the Super Bowl. And um, I had a lot of Super Bowl highlight films when I was a kid. So I really loved, and then probably that's why I love radio so much when you think of whether it's Jack Fleming or whoever it is, Joe Starkey, um, you know, Bill King. <laughs> um, but you think of the, um, you think of the intimacy with radio. And I think you and I talked about this in college because you're, you're a big radio, you know, theater of the mind, right? Mm-hmm. You get a t-shirt or a yeah, hat that's right. theater of the yeah, mind. I want to say. Right. But you know, it's, um, it's more like, you know, and, and I think TV is awesome and the folks that do TV are immensely talented and that's obviously a great, a great form, a great medium. I just always was attracted to radio because, you know, you're their guy, right? You know, you're, you're the team's guy. And 
I just think that, you know, when I, when I thought about, you know, my favorite TV announcers, obviously um, Keith Jackson, I always loved probably he's my, he's probably my favorite. You know, if I want to watch a college football game, it's, it's Keith Jackson in my mind. Right. Um, But, you know, I think Al Michaels is the best. I think that's probably ever done it at the NFL level, personal opinion. Um, But, you know, I just, I just really just, my whole thing was not wanting to, you know, be the, story right you want to be you want to just be doing a good job and and not that you don't want to be noticed but you want just to be able to deliver it you don't want folks when they're listening or a game being like hey it's about him it's about you know just hey just be i remember bob shepherd saying this once like clear concise correct when he's doing his um, public address right so i try to i try to adapt that to radio where at the end of the day all they want to know is who has the ball where the ball is and how many yards they gain so i always tell young announcers like, if you could do that, that's like 90% of it, maybe 95% of it. And then anything after that is kind of just gravy. And it's amazing how many you listen to a game and you don't get that. But, um, mm-hmm. but that was probably how I – probably the, the folks that were the old-school NFL announcers were the ones I really listened to a lot. During your senior year at Rutgers, your call of the Scarlet Knights' last-second win over Georgetown in the Big East men's basketball quarterfinals was simulcast on WFAN and then replayed on IMUS in the morning. Having been raised on the fan and then working there, what was it like to hear yourself on the station? Oh, it was, uh, it was like a dream. And I think that's when, you know, I kind of realized that, um, that I wanted to do this. Um, I'd gone to college as an engineer. I think in that, I remember crossing paths with you. I mean, you'd know my sister. And my freshman year, I don't know if I was like 100% like I wanted to do broadcast. Um, and then sophomore year, changed my major and, and moved full-time into journalism and really went all in on the radio station. And then I was kind of fighting between, you know, public relations or um, broadcast. And, and I think when I, and I was interning at FN at the time, but I think when I, um, when that happened, that whole thing happened, I remember being like really like, um, really excited and it really was flattering and everything. But I think I thought to myself, like, you know, that, that would be a great story if I went into, if I went into insurance or I went into anything else. Right. And I, um, you know, computer programming, you know, public relations, 20 years later to be able to tell my kids, oh, I had this call. And, and I just was like, I didn't want that to be like the thing I always talked about. I wanted more than that. So I think that's why I, um, it hit me that if I wanted more than that, then that's probably something I should do, you know, where, I mean, the, I mean, I really, and I should, I don't, I don't think about the, that, that moment it's come up. I'm lucky enough to do this whole COVID thing. I've been on a, a couple of podcasts and it's come up but I really don't think about it. And I was actually telling my kids about it. They kind of have an understanding about it, but um, I just never, and my wife hasn't even come up a ton, but I was, I was thinking about it more and um, I had gotten, I mean, you remember Craig Chavity's at yeah. FAN, mm-hmm. who was the overnight I miss um, tape person. He had gotten me right. a VHS of it. Right. And I, and I, um, and you know, VHSs, they go bad if they're not in like cold weather. So a few years ago, I had someone at work at, at, um, at army transferred on the video clip and I put it like on my YouTube page just so I know where it is. Right. Yeah. And I actually went back a couple months ago to watch it. So, um, it, um, it definitely was flattering, but I just didn't want it to be something that like, that's my calling hard to people. You know what I mean? I wanted to, I want to actually have a career and, and do it and, and call bigger events, mm-hmm. relatively speaking, you know, stations. So, um, but that was uh, definitely, um, something I've last few months I've enjoyed a lot, just thinking back to my feelings and, and being in New York City for that and everything. Sticking in New York City, um, I mentioned earlier you earned a Best 9-11 Coverage Award from the New Jersey AP Broadcasters Association as part of the WCTC team. 
what role did you play on that team and, and what did you cover that day and in the weeks and months that followed? So we, um, so obviously working under Bruce Johnson, Stu, who you knew from being yeah. at Rutgers, he was a long time Rutgers play by play announcer and news yeah. and sports director yeah. at WCTC. So I was, I got to WCTC in May of, of 99. So I was there just a couple of years. And um, obviously the thing, I'm commuting from North Jersey to have a job. And I remember waking up and seeing, you know, a plane that hit the World Trade Center. And, um, and I just, the phone wasn't working, I think, or something. So I just drove down to work as quickly as I could. And I'll never forget listening to the radio and then um, passing because my, my, um, my route to WCTC off the New Jersey Turnpike, off on the left, you know, I see Manhattan. And I remember seeing the the twin towers and the smoke billowing out or whatever. And then um, I'm listening to the radio and then there's like a commotion or, you know, and then I look to the left and they were gone, you know, or one was gone. It was just, um, and it was, um, and it was just obviously crazy getting down there. So I think Bruce did a great job of, of figuring out how we should cover it from New Jersey station. So obviously, you know, coverage from New Jersey. So you're in New Jersey, you're not in New York city. No one was getting into New York city. So how are you going to cover it? And I thought he did a great job just as a news director plotting out the coverage so he sent us to different train stations that first day to get um to get people who are coming who maybe witnessed it who maybe were down there so we were there um you know interviewing folks i was in the new brunswick train station i remember like fighter jets flying over as i was um by where the east avenue apartments were still which you're familiar with that's right Rutgers and you know walking up that that road that that street down Easton Avenue down toward the, the train station since fire this is just crazy what's going on and um and there was we were sent to different um, um train stations I think we were sent to like Red Cross and 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 you know it was kind of a nice it was it was a full menu of coverage from the New Jersey side because that's how you're looking then in the weeks and months that followed it was um the, the recovery missions. And I remember being um, at an airport in central Jersey when um, a crew that was in New York city um, who was put together by the red cross had come back. And um, after they had been embedded there for, you know, two weeks to, you know, clean up and everything and, and they're kind of homecoming and then really extending into the next year with obviously the one year anniversary, but then, um, you know, in, in really the next year, there was memorials going up really in almost in every town in central Jersey who, you know, who were affected and, and, and had lost folks um, and then covering all of those. So it was really like a, like a year, 14 month kind of continuing coverage. And, um, and yeah, I'll never forget that. Obviously, you know, you're, you're affected by that. And I think news, news made a great impact on me because I never was a huge news person before working under actually GHT. I was worked under Noam Layden, who's gone on to a great career as an anchor and news director in New York city and working under Bruce and just, um, you know, where, yeah, heck, you know, I, I read local politics all the time, right? You know, Senate races, <laughs> gubernatorial races. I mean, you asked me in high school, I was a freshman in college that I'd be into this at 44 years old. I thought you were crazy. But, um, but I do, and I think it's born from that because I remember, you know, covering Bob Menendez, um, you know, being at, you know, different mayor elections and, you know, it's just, um, it's just something now that stuck with me and it's, it's something I always like to keep tabs on. One of the things you've talked about in the past is the local community rallying around radio stations, especially around the holidays. And um, that really sure. hit home with me. And I was wondering that recollection for you and, and how that resonated in your time at CTC, WGHT. Yeah. And I just, I, you know, really my, my, 
memory. You know, I miss, it's funny. I miss working in radio, but I don't miss working in radio. I mean, the, the obvious there's, there's a lot of things that, I mean, I'm, I'm very thankful where I'm at now, but always around the holidays and I'll never forget it. Always started around Thanksgiving that you'd start doing these live reads about, um, you know, needy families for the holidays, you know, family A, B, C, it'd be like on a tree, these reads and you, you take them and then folks would, you know, start donating, um, toys and, you know, clothes, items, gifts, essentially, um, to give these families for the holidays. And I just remember it, you know, beginning, it would begin kind of like in the foyer of, a, of the radio station, kind of in the lobby. And then it would just like take over the conference room. And then it would just be like, kind of, you couldn't even walk like the few days before Christmas, right? Like around the 20th. And you couldn't really, yeah, like navigate your way to get into the newsroom. And then, you know, the big truck would come, everyone would help put the put the stuff on the truck. And, um, and that's, I always remember that every, every Christmas, I just always mm -hmm. think back to like those five years and those, you know, I probably the first year was like, what is this? And then by the fifth year, I was like, this is like awesome. And, um, and that's always just, that's just the memory of radio. I'll never, I'll never lose. So 17 years in at West Point, um, you've got a long career ahead of you. Are there any items on your broadcasting bucket list you'd like to complete before your career is over? I would love to call Army men's basketball's first NCAA tournament game. Mm -hmm. That's uh, that's something I really, really want to do. Mm -hmm. I want to I want to call Army's first Patriot League championship in men's basketball, and I want to call their first NCAA men's tournament game. That would that would mean a lot to me, considering the history of that program, mm -hmm. where that program's been, where Jimmy Allen has it pointed and going. Um, I, and you know, football wise, sure, you know, major bowl game, go 13 and oh, that, that would be awesome. <laughs> but, you know, and win more commander in chiefs trophies, I'll say that, but really that, um, you know, men's basketball, um, you know, NCAA tournament game, that would be, that would be a real dream. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Coach Knight, Coach Krzyzewski, um, like you say, the history with that, uh, with that program, that's awesome. Uh, where can we catch your broadcast and what website or sites do you produce and maintain that we should be looking at? Um, uh, my personal sites, I mean, Twitter at Rich DeMarco. I mean, I'm, that's, I'm pretty active. It's mostly army stuff and NFL history. So you got to really um, be interested in one of those two things, but um, you can catch all our broadcasts on TuneIn. We really want to push people to that TuneIn radio app, um, army, uh, Black Knight Sports Network. If you just click on tune in, we have a, a multi-station network for football. Um, WMCA out of New York City is one of our um, stations, the main New York City station. And then we have a couple of Hudson Valley, WBNR, WLNA. We've been with the Army Network for generations upon generations. And, uh, and really, um, you know, through the Army West Point website, go armywestpoint.com, do a lot of videos, coverage of the team, Facebook page, Army West Point Athletics. So uh, you can catch us in any of, the, any, of those, uh, any of those mediums, and we appreciate everyone's support, really. Well, uh, Rich DeMarco, thank you so much for your time, Associate Athletic Director at the United States Military Academy. I hope you and the Black Knights have a great 2020 and potentially, like you say, uh, run the table maybe January 1st bowl game. That would be awesome. And, and Stu, thanks, and, and congratulations for all you've done. And, you know, in your career, and it's great being back here, you doing this podcast and having me on, that means a ton. And um, anything you need in the future, you can always come to me, and, and I'd be happy to help. All right. Well, thanks very much, Rich, and good luck this season. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to Believe in the Media Guide. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, and Radio.com. Find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and on social at Believe Podcasts. I'm on Twitter at Hotem, H-O-T-H-E-M as in Mary. Stay tuned and stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.